0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, so guys, the talk today... um... We're basically in our teaching series that is called uh, Leadership That Lasts. Uh, We've gone through different uh, aspects of characters around that. It looks about how to lead yourself and how to build your character so you become more and more like Jesus. Because you may be one of those person who just feels like I'm not a leader. I'm not someone who is like, Becky Williams, come on, let's get the team, let's play football, let's do this. Maybe you just don't feel that you have that whomph behind you. But that theory is about developing your character so that you're closer to Jesus. And when you're closer to Jesus, people start to see in you things that they aspire to, things that they want to follow, things that they trust. And in that you your character matters and your character points out to Jesus. Jesus who is the foundation of our faith. We know we're saved by grace, not by work. And that's why we're doing this series, that we know that character matters for leadership and for ourselves. So last week, anyone was there last week? Probably most, most of you, a few faces, maybe not Maureen wasn't there on oh, Maureen. Well, you missed out last week. Last week, Steve talked about discipline and how discipline can help you to perform well under pressure. And then he talked about the British team and how they would not been so good at penalties, <laughs> but that during the semi-final, because of the, the discipline of the training, they were able to perform well under pressure and to nail some of the penalties. And this week, we're going to talk about some, that thing that you can build on the top of, of discipline, that thing that helps you to, how could I say, um, really make it... Come home. Hmm? That helps you to go from that semi-final yeah, to the actual final. The one that really counts. yeah. Huh? And that thing is courage. <laughs> so we're going to look at the book of Ruth. Sorry, that joke had to be made. <laughs> Steve opened the door and I just could not close it. Okay, so we're going to look at the book of Ruth and we're going to look at the journey of certain characters within that book. We're going to look at the story of Elimelech, who was the father-in-law of Ruth. We're going to look at the story of Ruth and we're going to look at the story of Bose. And we're going to look through their journeys what we learn about finding courage or lacking courage. And we'll see how it's based on our love for God that we manage to grow braver in God and grow courageous for God. So I'll pray and then we'll get started. Yeah, God, I I thank you that you are a God who is with us. You are a God who loves his children, who wants good for their children, who wants to redeem us, who wants to strengthen us, Lord. And I pray that um, as we look through the book of Ruth and the different characters, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would be able to see things that we'd not seen before that would change our hearts, Lord, and that will make us make us love you more. Amen. So first, a bit of context, okay? So Ruth uh, is a book that happened during the Judges area, yeah? So at this stage, we know that Israel are the chosen people of God. There are 12 tribes. They come from that same family, Jacob's sons, and they are together, they're not separated, and they are free, so they're not under the rule of a foreign nation because they've left Egypt. They're now in the Promised Land, so they're where they're supposed to be. But yet, while everything seems to be going for the people of God, um, it's quite a dark time. Judges it's quite a dark time for the people of God. It's a time of rebellion and it's a time of corruption. So we're gonna start in the so that's the context of the Book of Ruth. And the Book of Ruth starts with Elimelech's story. So Elimelech, he's an Israelite, okay? We know he's married to the lovely Naomi, and they've got two sons who are called Malon and Kilian. And he's part of the he's part of the people of God, God's chosen people, and his family is living in the promised land. And everything is going well, yeah? He's, he looks like he's um, living at the very centre um, of God's plan for his people. You know, we sometimes talk about um, what's the will of God for my life? Yeah, where does he want me? What does he want me to do? Who should I marry? All those stuff. Well, for Elimelech, he's right at the centre of God's will for his life at this stage and right where him and his family are meant to be. And then... A famine strikes, okay? Hunger, nothing in Tesco. It's bad, it's bad. And it says in, in Ruth chapter 1, okay, let's just read that passage. There was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, in Judah and they went to Moab and lived there. Now I think when you read this you think oh well it's all quite innocent all quite straightforward but if you know if you look a little bit deeper in it then you realize that it's not it's not innocent because Elimelech he was, re- he was right where he meant he was meant to be. Yeah. He will have known um, the journey on which God took his people from captivity in Egypt to the Promised Land. He's right in the middle of of the purpose of God. He will have a great sense of identity. His identity will be rooted in being part of those people, being part of that family. Remember, this is a society that is built on the family system, traditional family system, not like the, the society that we live in, which means that, Your family, your family name, that's your identity, that's your significance. Your children, they're your achievements, they're your Cambridge degrees, yeah? Your kids, especially your sons, will be your achievements. And the people of God, they're one family, you know, they're one big family divided into half tribes. And when you're part of the people of God, there's a great sense of, this is who I am, yeah? And Elimelech, that's where he's at. You know, he's part of the people of God in the promised land, and that's his identity, and that's the will of God for his life. So it was not something that you actually walk away casually from. It's not an innocent innocent act when you just move to another country. And it looks like, when you read the passage, it looks like he's got a very legitimate reason. There's a famine... You know, it's, it's dangerous for his family. He's thinking probably, oh, I just want to be wise. It looks like he wants to be wise, a good godly father who wants to provide for his family. Surely this is wisdom. You know, what's, what's wrong? But when Elimelech runs away, he simply acts out of fear in a time of adversity and he hides behind what looks like wisdom. Why? Why does he do that? Because finding courage is hard. Even when deep inside you know that you're doing the right thing, or even when you know exactly that you're where you're meant to be, finding courage is hard. It means overcoming fear and overcoming fear is challenging. It was hard for Moses in the Bible when he was called for God it was hard for Peter when he had to walk out of the boat um, well when he took a step rather than had to um, and it was hard for Timothy when he faced some of his own timidity and if we are honest with ourselves it's, it's hard for us and in this story it's hard for Elimelech because he fears when he fears famine what does he fear? He fears poverty and he fears death for maybe himself and maybe for his family. And as a response, he just runs away. He settles in a country that is also the absolute enemy of Israel. They are like the people that feels like disgusting to Israel. They come from Sodom, if you remember those dark times. So they're a group of people that like are probably the worst people you would turn to if you're turning away from God. And, and so he. Uh, sorry, my bad. Um, so he fears famine and poverty and death and he runs away to Moab, one of the worst enemy. And when he's there, he doesn't try to set himself apart. He sons marry more Moabite women and eventually the the very things that he runs away from come and bite him back in the butt. Yeah. He faces death in Moab and so do his sons. And there's a massive loss. And if you know um, this guy, Tim Kellers, who is an American theologian, one of my favorites, um, he explains that basically Elimelech, when, in doing that, not only did he lack courage at a time of adversity, but he also turns away from God. He turns away from God at a time where he needed to turn to God for strength and for faith in a time of adversity. Instead, he turns to another nation and he turns to another god. But I would also say that in in leaving the very people that he belonged to, he also denies his identity in God. What's so important to see is that he acts out of fear, not faith, and he hides his lack of courage under false wisdom, and it leads to death. And for us, when we Act out of fear. We we may not experience like instant death, yeah, most of the time we don't. Um, But we may experience spiritual loss, we may experience disconnect from the people that we are, we may experience a, a sense of not embracing the identity that we have in Christ and what God wants for us as a child of God because we act out of fear. And the thing that is the most important to see is that the safest place you will always be is right at the center of God's will for your life. Even if it may not make sense humanly. Because for Elimelech, it didn't make sense to stay in a land where there was famine, where you could go somewhere else, where there was food. But the safest place for him would have been to stay in Israel. But when I when I look in at, when I looked at Elimelech, I was like, man, I I feel the compassion. You know, I feel like, you know, I don't want to be harsh, but in the same time, I get how he would get there. You know, you're thinking about your family. There's famine. You know, I I get how you would get there. Facing some of those fears must be really difficult, because finding courage is hard, and maybe facing your deepest fear is maybe one of the hardest things you will do in your life. And sometimes, even when you, do, when you know that you're doing the right thing, and even when you know that you're right in the middle of God's will, that may be the, one of the hardest things that you do. But My encouragement is that when you feel like, oh, this is too big for me, This is just too big my encouragement is that you don't ignore the struggle you don't ignore it or try to hide it under some sort of wisdom or justification but you bring it to God you bring it because when you turn to God at a time of weakness you just leave space for God to to be strong for you You leave space in your life for God to be strong, for you not to do things out of your own capacities and your own strength, but to lean on your God who knows the situation and who knows you better than you know yourself, who is by your side and who has completely dismantled the power of fear on the cross. Why? So that you can overcome fear. When I when I was younger, when I was about thirteen, I had um, this was not my peak in my life. Let's just say <laughs> I um, was a little bit chubby. I was in a really tough secondary school where there was a lot of bullying, and I was very aware that if I was going to make it through, yeah, I needed not to make too many steps, otherwise I'm going to get. I was probably going to get quite bullied, and. I was a bit of a goody-two-shoe at the time, and I remember the bell ringing, guys, and the bell ringing, and my friend is like, come on, Ruth, let's go and run to get the bus to get back home, quickly, quickly, otherwise we're going to miss the bus. And I was like, oh, I think I, I need to go to the toilet. But she was like, no, come on, Ruth, we need to get the bus. I would love to tell you that it was because we had a party or something like that that evening, but I'm pretty sure it's because we had an exam the next day and we wanted to revise. So I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So I'm feeling the pressure and I'm like, you know what? Okay, Melissa, let's go. Let's run for the bus. So we run for the bus. We give it all and it's hard when you're chubby, guys, so you're breathless. And I'm running, I'm running. And we get to the bus and I'm in like peak time in the bus, okay? It's like public school, public bus. And everyone from my school is in that bus, guys. And we're all trapped in each other's armpit. And I get to the bus and I'm like, whew. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to pee myself. I'm going to pee myself in front of everyone from my school. And I'm going to get bullied. And this is the end of my life. And, and I remember being like, God, please, please have mercy on your righteous one. I'm praying and I 'm almost crying in the bus because I'm like i'm going to wet myself in front of all those naughty kids, and they're going to beat me up and we arrived to my stop, and I just managed to step out of the bus, guys, and then <laughs> wow, <laughs> happened, and you think that's the worst, guys, but the worst it was it was the winter, and the massive steam <laughs> came out, <laughs> the steam of shame and, and I was like, "Oh, this is horrible. And I remember the sense of shame and the sense of fear. And I'm like, I can't go back to school tomorrow. I just, I can't go back. I'm going to go from invisible to visible for all the wrong reasons. And I'm going to get bullied. And, and I was just like, I don't think I can face that. I don't think I can face that. And I remember going back home and I was like, I, I, don't, I, can, I can't go to school tomorrow. This is it. I'm going to have to change school. My mom was like, you're going to go to school tomorrow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A day after, I walked to school, and I'm like, with fear in the belly. And man, like just like in Elimelech, everything in me just wants to run away, hide under any sort of pretense, and run away. And I go to school, and I'm thinking, this is the end of my life. Day one. And, and no one said anything. And no one knew anything, and no one ever mentioned it. And they were just like, hi, Ruth. Steal that ugly face. And I'm like, Yeah, steal that ugly face (laughs) You know and I was just like, Oh and no one knew. No one knew. And and there was a great sense of relief. Yeah. (laughs) I could keep going. But what it showed me is that God was with me. Yeah. That in him I could find the strength that I needed, even at times where I didn't feel like I could overcome that. I did not think that I would be able to walk back into my school after this team of shame. (laughs) I just (laughs) did not think I could. And what I saw is that God was with me, that in him I could find the strength to overcome, and that as a child of God, you have got power um, and authority over fear and over lies that are in your head because there's a level of acceptance and safety in God that means that those staff, they can't truly shake you. They, that cannot be rubbed from you, whatever circumstances you face. Okay, so now we're going to look at Ruth's story. And Ruth's story. for Ruth's story, we need to go back a little bit at the book of Ruth. So we know Elimelech leaves Israel and he goes to Moab with his family Sons marry more bite women, um, the lovely roof, and Opa. Then he dies, and so do his sons. Naomi becomes a widow, and then she's left with her two daughter in laws in a foreign country. So we've talked a bit about like how that used to be a, a society that was based on a traditional family system. So, in that context, if you think about Naomi, this is far bigger tragedy for her than just losing and I'm not uh, uh, minimising what what it is to lose a loved one, but it's even more for Naomi, because she loses her husband, but she also loses her sense of identity. She loses her achievements, her sense, yeah? She loses her rights, and she loses her livelihood. And she's left in a foreign country, too old to remarry, with a future massively uncertain, Yeah? So she hears that God is bringing aid to the people of Israel, and she's thinking, okay, let's go back to Israel. So she tries to convince Ruth and Orpah to, to stay in Moab. Why does she do that? Because she knows that as soon as they go to Israel, they will, will potentially be unsafe, that they will be shamed, that they may be alienated and rejected, that they will probably live in poverty and that they will have very little chance to get remarried. She knows, Naomi, and so do Orpah and Ruth. They know that if they stay in Moab, they have much more chance to start over. They have their own family that can protect them. They are well seen because they're part of their people and they have chance to get remarried, which means identity, um, riches, purpose, Achievement. That's all that means for them. And so Naomi is trying to push them to stay. And at the end, Opa, she must see that. She must see what's ahead and be a bit like, ooh. Um, And while I'm sure she loves Naomi, she just decides to stay behind in Moab. But little Ruthie, mm, little Ruthie, she clings to Naomi. Yeah, She clings to her and she's not going to do like Opa, And she says to Naomi, and those verses are quite well known. Chapter 1, verse 16, she says, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if, I even, if even death separates you and me. Yes, Ruth. Yes. That's the womb we were looking for, Opa. And these are some of the most beautiful, for me, mm, these are some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Why? Because Ruth, she's saying, God, I will do the right thing. I will be obedient before you. Whatever comes my way. And may God judge me ever so severely if I even waver just a little bit from doing the right thing before you. When I read that and I tried to understand it better, I thought, do I pray like this to God? Do I have that level of commitment, of obedience? May you deal ever so severely with me if I even waver from doing the right thing for you God and I thought no I don't I'm like Lord I'm so grateful you cover my mistakes <laughs> you know and there's something to be inspired in that there's something to, to to inspire in the depths of love that she has for God sometimes when you read this passage you can think Okay, because she says, your God will be my God, you can think, oh, Ruth just converted. She, in that moment, out of love for Naomi, she converts into following her God and going back to Israel. But what, what the commentaries indicate is that when she says, your God will be my God, she uses the word Yahweh. Yeah? And Yahweh was the term that believers used to refer to God. And foreigners used to, used to use Elohim. And that indicates that type of, of wording and the way she, she does a sort of oath to God indicates that she was a believer. She had a relationship with God. She, she was converted and she loved God. And what we see in those verses is a commitment of obedience out of love for God and, and a commitment out of love for Naomi, who she's seen suffer and wrestle with her faith to make sense of her loss. What's important to see is that godly courage, it's a commitment of obedience to God that is made out of love for him and out of love for others. And that is whatever stands in our way, the good and the bad. What I found helpful in that is that it's outwardly focus. It's not focused on yourself. Yeah? It's not Sudanese, it's not about... Um, self-improvement. It's not about achievement and ambition and overcoming yourself so that you can be the best you can be. No, it's it's about serving God out of love. Being obedient and finding courage out of love for God and out of love for others. And it helps because it takes off the pressure of you. It's not a performance. It's not about you. It's not about you getting it perfect. It's it's an expression of love for others and for God. And I don't know what you think. when you're, For instance, when you're at church and you want to pray out, anyone has ever been in a situation where you feel like, oh, I should pray out. I feel God prompting me to pray out. And you're just like, oh, should I, should I? But if you know that this is just a response of obedience out of love for God, then it's not about whether you have the best words when you pray. It's not about whether you're going to quote the right Bible verse when you pray out. It's just about an expression of love, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, It doesn't matter. It's not, the pressure is not on you. It's an expression out of love for God. Well, when you bring a word for someone, okay? so sometimes you will have a word, God will speak to you, and you might have a verse for someone or a word of encouragement, and you can think, oh, is this from God? Is this not? Is this the right Bible verse? Or maybe no and that. No. And you can fear just going and telling that person when you know that this may make a massive difference for that person. And maybe it may not, but it may. And the only thing that you're truly risking is you being a bit embarrassed, yeah? You being embarrassed because you might have said and the person's like, whoa, yeah? But if it's driven out of love for that person, out of love for others, then it doesn't matter. You accept that yeah, you might make a mistake, yeah, you might get a bit awkward. But then if it's really from God, that person is going to be blessed in a way that that she might not even have imagined. And if you've ever received the word, you know that, like, at times when God speaks, it can be the make or break in you making a good decision or you getting to a really dark place or turning to God. We do it out of love, out of love for God and out of love for others. And that takes off the pressure, takes off the pressure on us. <clears throat> what we also see about Ruth making that commitment of obedience, that oath to God, is that she also accepts to put herself in a vulnerable position, in a place of vulnerability. So they return to Israel. She starts gleaning in the field of Boaz, okay, who, who happens to be her kinsman-redeemer. And Ruth She's in a far ven- more vulnerable position than before, yeah? So she's in that field, and Boaz asks one of the workers, oh, who is this lady? And they're like, oh, she's the Moabite, who's come from Moab. It's as if someone said, oh, she's the Frenchie, the Frenchie who's come from France. It's rude, you know, it's rude. And Boaz, he realizes that she's in a very vulnerable position, that she's in danger, because he's like, "Don't go to another, don't go to another field. I've told my men not to harm you. Stay with my woman. Okay, so that's why it says, Naomi, at the end of the day, says the same thing. Don't go to another field. Stay there with the woman because you may be harmed somewhere else. It was really dangerous for her. The, the, the truth is probably that she was at risk of being harmed. She was at risk of maybe being raped out of poverty. So she, in deciding to follow out of obedience and out of love for God to go to Israel, it meant accepting a vulnerable position. And trusty got through it. And when, when Bose tells her, come and stay with my, my, my ladies, work there and stuff, her response is that she bows down to the ground and she's like, oh, thank you, thank you. It's not a, it's a strong response. It's not, yeah, cheers, ma'am, we all appreciate. No, it's a strong response. There's a sense of relief and gratitude. She knew the type of danger she was exposing herself. And in the same way, when we, you know, when, when we want to do the right thing, when we want to act out of obedience, sometimes it means allowing vulnerability. It means allowing to be put in a vulnerable position, allowing people to see our weaknesses, allowing people to see our mistakes, taking risks to be exposed when we're not in our strength or maybe when there's shame. And when everyone else maybe seems like they have it all together and they have the perfect life, yeah? But that is courage. You know, when I'm, I was hoping to not give you too many examples from my life, but uh, (laughs) I've run out of time to try to find other examples, so my life again. Um, So when I was younger, I used to struggle with a particular issue, a sort of negative pattern of behavior, which sort of started when I was 15. And... With it, there was a lot of secrecy. There was a lot of shame, um, and I remember thinking, "What if people really knew what was going on? How would they see me? How would they think? Oh my goodness, they would think I'm this and that if they truly knew. And look at them; they all have the perfect life. They're so happy. I'm so glad for you. <laughs> and and while I was trying to talk to get on the top of that issue and. I remember things getting worse and worse and reaching a point where I thought, I can't get out of this on my own. I just cannot get out of this on my own. And I'm trying um, to control this and get on the top, and and I'm losing control. And I don't know where that's going to go if I don't seek help. And I remember seeking God about it, and what is the right thing to do? And I remember him giving me this Proverb 11, which... It says, where there is no counsel, a nation falls. But where there are many counselors, there is deliverance. And for me, it felt like a real comment from God to say, I need you to seek help. I need you to seek advice and to be honest. So I realized I needed to be obedient, and then I spoke to someone in my church. And it took me so much courage to let someone see the deepest and the darkest part of my life. And I remember the vulnerability that, that there was, and that meant risking to be judged, to be disapproved, to be labelled. Um, but what it did, and what it did to me, is that it broke the shame, it broke the secrecy um, that were trapping me. Yeah, and it resolved some of the loneliness that was attached with that that disorder, if you want. And really, it meant that I started to get better. It helped me to get better. And had I not been obedient to God in finding the courage to make myself vulnerable, I just would have missed on all that. I would have missed on that help and all the things that God had for me to help me out of that. When just like Ruth, when you allow vulnerability, when you give space for God to redeem, it gives space for God to break the shame, to break the secrecy, to bring hope. And, and you don't want to miss on that because God, he wants to redeem you. That's, that's at the center of his heart for you. So my prayer, guys, is that we would have a love for God just like Ruth has. Yeah? Where we can truly say to God, God, I will do the right thing. Yeah, I will be obedient before you whatever comes my way, even if it means vulnerability, and may you deal with me ever so severely if I even just wander a little bit from doing the right thing. Because through this, God is going to redeem you. The last but not least, I'm going to try to speed up a bit, um, is Bo's story. And Bo's story is about applying wisdom and accepting costs, okay? So Bose is the kinsman redeemer for Naomi's family, which means that basically is someone allocated to be able to redeem that family in times of difficulty, whether the family goes in debt or lose their land or whether someone dies in that family. They used to have a system in which certain people would be allocated and only those people would be able to relieve the debt or take the widow, that kind of thing. Okay? So he's one of the kingsmen-redeemers for Naomi's family. And so Ruth goes to his feet and asks him to redeem her. Yeah? She asks, redeem Naomi's family. And Boaz, Boaz, I don't know how you say it in English, Boaz, 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 there we go. Boaz, he has compassion on, on Ruth and she's known, she's known for the good that she's done. And he has compassion on her. And he takes a big risk, and he says, yeah, I will redeem you. Why is that a big risk for him? Because it meant taking the debt and relieving the land of Elimelech. That meant sharing his own resources, and that meant marrying a foreigner. And with that, there were a lot of risks for his own estate. But when he takes that risk, the first thing that comes to mind is, I must do this right. So... If we see in chapter 3, what it says, I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true, I am your guardian redeemer for our family. There is another one who is closer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as his guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. What we see in Boaz is that he's taking a risk, yes, but he's being wise with it. He tries to respect the law of God. He's applying godly principle. He's not reckless in his way of taking risks for God. And in the same way, when we, um, when we are being courageous and we take maybe risks for God, we must be careful not to be reckless, not to, not, not to not take our responsibility for our action, to step out and and do things and not and not think and take responsibility. Because godly courage is rooted in godly wisdom. That is so important. Godly courage is rooted in godly wisdom. Our courage and overcoming fear and all those things should not be at the expense of our wisdom. And that's what we see in both, is taking a godly courageous step and that's executed with godly wisdom. And once it all comes about that the other kingsman redeemer, going back to the story, sorry, when it all comes about that the other kingsman redeemer, who is first in line to redeem the family, and that this kingsman redeemer is like, this is a bit too risky for my estate to redeem Ruth, Bose, off you go. Bose redeems her. He pays all the debts and he agrees to marry her. There was a cost. There was a cost for Bose. There was a risk and there was a cost. He had to pay the debt on the family. He had to take the widow that may endanger his estate. And he takes it all, and he trusts God through it. And I think for us, sometimes it's the same way. When we face challenges or we take risks, we need to find courage in God to do the right thing, and sometimes it will cost us. Sometimes it may cost your reputation to do the right thing. Sometimes it may cost a relationship. Or sometimes it may cost a position at work. Or someone that you value their approval. But sometimes in those moments it's saying to God, even if this thing that I fear so much comes true, even if it happens, I will trust that in you, there is enough grace for me to have a fulfilled life. Even if that situation, that challenge, that thing that is ahead of me comes true, even when that fear comes true, I will trust that in you, there is enough for me to find contentment, for me to be sustained, and for me to find fulfillment in you. When you find that place of trust, where there's an acceptance of suffering, You can find courage. You can find courage to face anything in your life, to face that situation that is, seems overwhelming, and you find freedom from that situation. So the last thing I want to say is that as we saw in, in Ruth, it's out of, our, out of his love for us and our love for him that we manage to find courage. Yeah. It's not by trying hard or pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones or doing all those things that the world does. It's out of knowing that you have a father in heaven who loves you, who is kind, who knows you better than you know yourself, who wants your good, and who promises that he will always be with you and in him that you find everything that you will need. And it's out of this love, it's out of this relationship of a father and a daughter, a father and a son, that you can respond to him in love, and you can take risks, and you can overcome fear rather than hide away, like Elimelech. It's out of that place of love that you can have that sacrificial obedience and accept to make yourself vulnerable when it's uncomfortable. And it's out of that place of love that you will seek Godly, care, godly wisdom, and that you will accept the cost of suffering like both did. And the one, the most beautiful thing about the story of Ruth is that it's the story of redemption of Naomi, who loses everything and wins everything back at the end. And when we are in that place of love, and, and we overcome fear, and we have that sacrificial obedience and we allow vulnerability, and we accept cost, God redeems us. He redeems us from fear. He gives us freedom. Um, We don't really have much more time for discussion, so (laughs) um, I think we'll just do one song. Is that okay? And then I'll just encourage you during that time to just come to God. Just come to God. And whatever I talk to you in this talk, whether you feel like you need to accept cost, whether you want more love, whether you feel like you have been like Elimelech, just take that time to respond to God. All right. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording.